I invite you to be seated and also to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we come having sung words of praise of your majesty and your kingship to hear a word from you today, that we might be transformed by that word and might be your love in the world. So may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, my God. Amen. Amen. I've talked on a number of occasions about my uh, time when I was living in Japan teaching English. It was a formative time for me. I just graduated college, and I went off to explore the world and to get a different cultural vantage point, and I taught English in a public uh, junior high school in uh, the countryside about an hour and a half north of Tokyo. Well, at the time, my wife, now wife and I, Ashley, were dating a distance, and so she had come out for uh, Christmas time, or just after Christmas, the New Year's time, and I was trying to think of the things that we could do with her in Japan. And one of the things, as I'm Googling and trying to figure out and asking my Japanese friends that came up, that I didn't understand, but it was like a really, really big deal, was to go to the emperor's palace. In Japan. They only opened the doors to the outside area. I mean, they have like the whole like king's moat, right? You know, like that you see in like the ancient, they have like this giant water area with these tall structures from ancient time in Japan. And, you know, to get past it, you have to go over the bridge. And a lot of the time the bridges are lifted up. But one time a year, they let anyone come into the palace courts. And that's when the emperor and, and you know, the emperor's family comes out and they wave to you. I didn't get it at all because I was like, what's the, I, I get we're like kind of coming in, but I was like, why are we like going into this space, right? And like, just going to watch. And there it was, like everyone, we had our Japanese flags and we were just surrounded by a sea of people. And then all of a sudden, there they come, the royal family out onto the balcony and they, you know, do this for probably like five minutes and everyone's cheering and so excited and waving their Japanese flags. And then we go on with the day. And it was a fun experience just to be there and to be able to come into that, but a foreign experience for me entirely. That was exacerbated just a few months later when I was on the break in the, they take their break in Japan from uh, March to April time. They have like their summer break. That's three weeks off. And so we and some of the other colleagues of mine, we went and traveled to uh, Cambodia, but then also to Thailand. And I had my second flavor of this uh, royal, like, prince and kings and all that stuff. Because we grew up in the United States, right? I mean, it's just like, wasn't, I mean, it's like, you know, the evil king of England is all we knew of kings, right? You know, that taxed us without representation. That's what we were told. But then there in Thailand, they had this picture of this guy everywhere I would go. And it was like on the streets and it was outside of the shrines. And I started asking, I was like, who is this? That's in every like place and location. That's the king. And if you didn't know, it's a huge, in Thailand, so even more so than Japan. I mean, in Thailand, if you speak wrongly of the king of Thailand, you can be put into prison pretty quickly. I mean, it, it is like a big deal in that context. And it was a new thing for me because I just don't understand kingship very much at all. Other than just this novelty of waving and then this guy who shows up on the streets. And it just is a foreign idea to me. 
And I say all that because we just sang a number of songs this morning that have to do with God as king in our lives. You know, we talk about crown him with many crowns, the Lord who reigns on all. The victory of God and the kingship of God is kind of there within the Bible and within our Christian tradition. And I would imagine that some of you are like me and the idea of a king or queen is just a, a foreign concept to us. We don't quite understand what to do with it. The idea of kingdom doesn't ring a bell because all it does is harken back to like ancient medieval days and movies that we might watch on you know, Netflix or HBO or whatever it is. But it, it just doesn't connect to us. And yet the Psalms are riddled with it. And there's some power, I think, that we can glean from this idea of kingship throughout the Psalms. The Psalms are, are the language that God gives us to give back to God, but there's a transition. You may or may not know, but the Psalms are made up of five books. It's called the five books of the Psalter. And they're sectioned out, uh, I mean, roughly about like 40-ish. You can look in some of your Bibles have it, some don't, about where the books start and end. But there's a transition that goes throughout all of them. Because you may or may not know that the people of Israel, they looked at one point they didn't have a king. There were people that came out of Egypt and they wandered in the desert and then they decide, they landed in this place, this place of Israel and uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And, and it's there when they finally got a king. And you might've heard of the character King David, right? Or King Solomon. And there's this time period within ancient Israel where they had kings. And then for the rest of their history, they didn't, well, they kind of didn't, kind of didn't. Long story, do a Bible study on that. But ultimately, uh, the idea is in the Psalms, King David wrote a number of the Psalms. And in fact, a number of the Psalms begin by talking about his struggles and they talk about his movement as king and how to, God can lead us as king. But a transition happens later in the Psalter, away from King David or King Solomon, but towards the king of heaven. And while there are still references to an earthly king, more and more is like the psalm that we just read. Do not put your trust in princes, but the God of all the earth will reign forever. Do not put your trust in the princes because they're mortals, their plans cease, but put your trust in God. And the psalm just before is an entirely godly psalm of the kingship of God. And it talks in Psalm 145 about how the God is king and God who reigns. And it uses all this language. But to me, in deciding which psalm we would read this morning, I thought today's was just a little bit more appropriate. Because I think you see a glimpse in this, why the language of God as king means something to God as we go to God in our prayer and to our songs. Um, a movie that you may not like, or you may not want your pastor to be talking about, is an HBO kind of guilty pleasure that I had called Game of Thrones. And so if you've ever watched Game of Thrones, it is a kind of a cultural phenomenon, and it's got all sorts of bad stuff that's in it, but the storyline is super complicated and so fascinating and addicting also at the same time. Uh, but one of the things that happens in this, it's like this kind of like king, ancient kingdom, like fantasy, fantasy, they have the king of the north and the kings of the south, and all of them are trying to vie for this like 
seat, kind of like modeled after Rome, right? You know, this big throne that everyone can, you know, rally around. And so everyone's trying to rally around this throne of the iron swords, they call it. But like you would imagine, all of the kingdoms are wrought with corruption and greed and just some terrible things that are going on with them, except for one person who begins to rise from a a distant land, and she was called the queen of the dragons, (laughs) the queen of the dragons. And she freed an entire people from slavery and then took them in as her leaders and her soldiers and kind of built this mantra that she was going to free the people of the land from the oppression and evil. She was going to be a different sort of king. She's going to be queen, right? And fast forward a number of seasons and lots of episodes, but one of the things that happens later on is all of a sudden in this vie for power and for standing, she starts to make these decisions that those who were following her and hopeful that she was going to be different than all the rest start to wonder, well, why did you do that? And why did you get angry and then decide to like take out an entire city with your dragons? And then towards the end, I'm not going to spoil it, but towards the end, it takes a drastic turn. (laughs) It takes a drastic turn. But one of the kind of the stories out of this Game of Thrones almost seems to be kind of what a lot of us know is that where there's ultimate power, there's also the opportunity for ultimate corruption, right? And no matter how good and well-intending someone seems to be, eventually their plans take a turn. And it might not be for your people, but maybe the other people on the downplay. And in preparing for this Sunday and how do we talk about God as king, one of the challenges that comes up when you use the language of king or kingdom is usually the idea of one over the other, right? So you have a king here and then another king here. And if we're talking about the kingdom of God coming here on earth as it is in heaven, which mind you, we pray every single Sunday in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean for the kingdom on earth? Does that mean it displaces the leaders of our nation? Does that mean it takes over up against any other king? See, God throughout the Old Testament hesitated to give the people of Israel a king. They had moved into the land and they were starting to get comfortable. And and they had said that we want a king. And they looked to some of the leaders of the tribes and the judges of the time. You might know that like book called the Judges. They said, we want a king. But over and over again, God seemed to kind of resist it. And then finally, God says, the people have rejected me. And so I will give them what they want, a king. And so Samuel, one of the leaders of the time, he anoints this guy named Saul. And Saul is to be the leader of God's people, the first to lead the kingdom of God here on earth. And what happens? Saul begins to take a turn begins to think more about himself and less about the people. And then eventually it's another person that rises to power, King David. And King David becomes the king that everyone wants to be. You know, he's the one that writes all these pretty Psalms. He's the one that leads God's people. He builds the temple, He does all of these things. And yet 
which we'll talk about next uh, in a couple sermon series, revisiting some of our Old Testament stories and looking at them again, he falls. He gets an affair and then kills some or has someone killed in order to hide it. And, you know, he himself also takes a turn. And it seems that God knew when God was hesitant to give the people a king, that at one point or another, the king would take a turn. But again, for us, it's a little foreign because we don't have that anymore. Surely we see the politicians and we do all that. But I think that there's another problem that's even kind of deeper than just that one person making wrong decisions. It's this idea that we start to follow and start to believe that we are the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that ultimately this is one of the challenges that you see in the movies and you see in the biblical characters, that they at one point believe that they are the representatives of God in the world and that they are bringing the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. A professor at Duke, the reason I went to Duke for grad school is named Stanley Hauerwas. And he said one of the greatest faults of the church was the Emperor Constantine, which I know I'm giving a lecture on history. He said the reason being is because it was a transition within the church, a time when we were reliant on God for protection, to a time when we believed that we now had the power to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And this professor talks about the mistakes of the church from the the Crusades to, you know, the other, you know, like the battles over religion in Europe, the bloody wars of religion, that all of it is kind of encapsulated in this idea that we are the ones to bring the power of God on earth as it is in heaven. And he says that's a mistake of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of power and of might. The kingdom of God is a new understanding of our relationships, of how we connect to each other. This psalm, Psalm 146, talks about God who is the God of all, and that not like any of the other princes, but this God feeds the hungry, lifts up the voices of the oppressed, sets the prisoners free, and then God came to be our king in Jesus, and what happened? We wanted him to be the king. We wanted him to take out the Roman Empire. And we didn't like the things that he had to say. The Pharisees liked their power, and Rome liked what they had, their control that they had. And so when Jesus came and gave an alternative, they put him on the cross. But God's sort of kingdom is not as much of a reigning power as much as it's a reorientation of our relationships to one another and to those around us. In fact, there's an entire movement, and you might have seen it, to get rid of kingdom language altogether. And I'm not quite there yet within the Bible or within the music and the liturgies that we have. And the new word that they grab onto is kingdom. Kingdom. Because within the love of God, the reign of God, we now become kin to one another. Friends, 
brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter where you stand on the social hierarchy, you're not a king and nobility and the servants. You're not a higher rank and then the enlisted. You're kin with one another. And we start to see each other differently through the reign of God. Because it's not like the powers or the TikToks or the social medias that kind of try to put us up against have and have nots, but that we stand together. And I think that for me, this is the true reason why God wanted us to not have a king. God wanted us to always remember that the power of God coming into the world isn't through the hands of us making it happen in the world. But insofar as that we learn to love as God loves us, no matter where you are, broken, sinner, saint alike, we're welcome at God's table. We're called beloved children of God. And similarly, we ought to treat each other with that same sort of love and respect, both sinner and saint alike, that all of God's people are welcome. And this is the vision that God has for us, to see the world not through the powers that be, but through the power and the love of God that calls us to relate to one another in new ways. Not in oppressive structures of patriarchy or racism, but through the love and the self-giving that the king of this world modeled on his time here with us. The king Jesus who gave of himself. And it didn't take, as Paul in Philippians says, the, the form of a king, but instead that of a servant and emptied himself to the point of the cross. The reign of God and the kingdom of God calls us to love each other as kin to one another. And so as we sing these psalms, as we lift up God, and we call God king, and we call God all the names that seem somewhat foreign to us, it's an opportunity for us to think about how does the love of God come into us and change the way we see one another? And how do we start to see each other as kin, as friend, as brother and sister in Christ, so that we all feel the love of God. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, you're the God, our loving parents, our mother, our father, our king and our queen. And yet your victory and your reign does not come through the power of this world, but comes through the love that you give us and call us to. May we be a people that 
forever remembers that you are our God and that we do not bring your kingdom on earth, but follow in the path that Jesus gave us while on earth. To feed the hungry, to lift up the voice of the voiceless, to stand with the oppressed, and to find your kingdom in our midst already at work. And it's in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.